Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Kyle Rideout, an actor you may have seen in Legends of Tomorrow, iZombie, The Arrangement, or that first Deadpool movie, and whom you may have heard in Littlest Pet Shop, Beat Bugs, and My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. He's also a filmmaker, having directed a number of shorts, and the experimental Edward Mybridge biopic, Edward. His new film, Adventures in Public School, a comedy which played TIFF last fall as Public Schooled, is now available for sale and rental on iTunes and Amazon Video in the U.S., and available for pre-order on iTunes in Canada. Kyle picked Amelie, Jean-Pierre Junet's 2001 romantic fantasy starring Audrey Tautou as a Montmartre cafe waitress with an inner life so rich that it very nearly compensates for her lack of any external connections. And if that sounds a little sad, well, it is and Genet makes that thread of pathos essential to appreciating the candy-colored world in which he places his heroine. You can still enjoy it as a simple romantic comedy, and people absolutely did, but it's a deeper, richer work than its marketing campaign implied, and I'm really glad we got to talk about it. So here we go. This is someone else's movie. It is why I love films. And like going to that, uh, you know, seeing it in the theater, I saw it at Fifth Ave in Vancouver, it is magical and fun and joyful like leaving the theater i felt lighter like walking away and i was was floating a little bit and i think that uh, like junet captured the essence of that you know uh, joy and fun in that film uh and magic and there's another films that i you know was thinking about i was thinking about pan's labyrinth which i really love the magic of that but it's all like you know got this kind of edge to it um, there will be blood is another one that I'm like, you know, obsessed with, but Amelie is kind of the first film. And, and I saw it when I was at a very, you know, young age in, in my teens and, um, and it really, you know, kind of opened my eyes to the world of, of filmmaking and it's just delightful. I was, so, yeah. Oh, I was going to ask if this was the first time you'd encountered Junet. Had you seen his other stuff? Or? I hadn't seen his other stuff. Okay. So after I watched this, then I needed to see Delicatessen, and I watched some of the shorts, um, and where he does the uh, the things I like, things I don't like. Oh, yeah. There's a short about that. And it was inspiring for my first film, Hop the Twig, which was a short film that I did. And, you know, even my lead character is very similar to the young Amelie in this. Um, But, yeah, that film just kind of transports you. And I also love how it's it's kind of got this nostalgic feel, but without, like, a time period. Like, it feels, like, older. Like, you can't quite nail down the time period. But then you see, like, a VW Bug, like one of the modern ones in the background. So you're like, okay, I know we're... I think we're modern, but there's kind of this nostalgic older feel to it yeah well he's always had this fascination with clockworks and and gears and and synchronized things that are yeah. that are very mechanical and tactile right um, and even yeah i mean those aren't polaris a photo booth images that he's using in, in anomaly yes. and, and the, the technology is all very quaint even though it's modern Right. I mean, even the, like a modern VW is still an adorable car. Yeah. And and his sensibility of of 
you know, it's it's like a, it's like a jewelry box. It's like you've, he's opened up this this box of all these glittery, weird, shiny, strange things that he found on the street. There's there's nothing new, really. It's yeah, all... it's something. It's like uh, he's capturing classicness. Like he mm. he doesn't have you know an IKEA bookshelf in his yeah. movie. You know, he has yeah. everything is kind of interesting and unique even the items old wooden chairs with interesting carvings on the sides and things like that yeah and then the camera work i find incredible too in that where you know even when she finds that little box and you just flip into the memory of of who owned that box and you know you and the things that you see the items you see play almost a different role like there's the little bicycle and then it's like the tour de france that he's like the boy is playing with and then there's the photograph, and it actually doesn't have, like, the picture itself doesn't have special meaning. It's it's what covers the hole where he goes and, yeah. and peeks on the woman changing or, or doing the laundry or whatever. Uh, yeah, and then the marbles, the day that he lost the marbles. That's right. Yeah, so I love, I love, uh, I, I think it's the feeling, like, the joy. I, when I was younger, actually, I was really shy, too. And I feel like I connect with, Amelie herself because like shyness is the villain in mm-hmm. the movie and I you know as you know young teenager I was actually really quite shy and so yeah this is an incredible movie and the score yes. the score makes that film like that was incredible too yeah it swoons for you yeah like, it, it does just, it carries you along I my first encounter with it would have been at TIFF I think um, right, because it didn't. Positive. It didn't play Can. Right, it, it was Venice, I think, the way it premiered. Right, right. I, I can't so remember. I know that they it. were very surprised that it didn't. That Can said no to it, and they were like, I, "Really? Yeah. That was like a thing." You think they were punishing him for Alien Resurrection? <laughs> Maybe you sold out. You can't come back. Yeah, but they they didn't play it. Yeah, yeah. His career is so. I mean, Delicatessen is such a strange, off-putting, wonderful masterpiece. It is, uh, and then. From there, The City of Lost Children. We can run through his filmography if you like. It's just those were films that you somehow had to drag people to uh-huh. in order to convince them it was worth seeing. I, I yeah, it's not like a movie again. you're like ah, I gotta get gotta get there and go yeah. see it because it's like this unique voice. His voice is so clear and strong, and his vision in these films are so clear and strong. Mm-hmm. But he transports you to another world. Yeah, and people didn't want to go there, and in. In the in the earlier films, the films of his, his films of the nineties, right? It was a small audience that yeah. were digging his films. Well, at TIFF, you know, Delicatessen was here, and, and the distributor was at the time Mallow Film, long since gone. I think they're Mongrel Media now. They, oh. they evolved into. I think that's what came out of it. Huh. But Mallow had sales agents, if I'm remembering this correctly, at TIFF in '92, were running around with little gold pig pins. And there was no logo. There was no. There was nothing. It was just the little gold pig, uh, the half pig, the, the same. Yeah, from that the, delicate. From the, that's yeah, on the title from the hanging sign. Or yeah, and um, and that'd be a good you, pin to get. I'd like that. Yeah, thing. I think I still have mine because if you wore it, it was a sign of how cool you were. I wish you had two. And I was a child. So that you could give me one. If I find it, you're welcome to. It has <laughs> right. not been worn in 25 years, but. Um, it was one of those things where if you had the pin, it was the common language of oh, you know, you've seen it. Right. And and then for some for whatever reason, even though art house cinema was at a peak, you couldn't get people in. It was more of a hit in the states. It was more of a hit in Europe and Canada. It just it just didn't happen. Wow. And so when City of Lost Children came out, 
I, I found myself in the same exact position of, oh, no, no, it's the guy who made Delicatessen. And people say, what? What is and, that? Yeah, and you were just fighting this uphill battle. And then Amelie comes out, and all of a sudden... People you know, like, oh, I get it. Yeah, Mark What, else? what was that movie you said? Package, Delicatessen? Okay, maybe I'll check yeah, it out. Yeah, <laughs> it retroactively makes all of his movies make sense to people. Right. And I don't... It's unlike, like the masterpiece of the vision, the original visions, and then right. people, like, they were able to get it. Yeah, it's like it unlocks it retroactively. And yeah. I don't understand why that is, because it feels like the culmination it's like right. how do you jump into this for the first time and see Amelie because tonally it's so different too it's, yeah. it's a much happier and op- more optimistic movie even though as you say it's about a woman who does all these things for other people so she doesn't have to confront her own lack of a life exactly and yeah I mean I'm, I'm delighted that it worked I'm delighted that it clicked with audiences finally but it's like where were you 10 years ago guys this is the same guy and then there's like narration for the first oh, that's uh, right for the first long section of it and it, she doesn't start in the cafe until I, I don't know what it is maybe 15 minutes yeah, in or something say 15 or 20 yeah and i think that that's also interesting too because you know when you start looking at film structure it's you know you need something to happen and he's just telling you a story of what's going on and you're totally you're following with like these things that people like and don't like he doesn't like his swim shorts getting stuck to his legs as he gets out of the pool and he doesn't like people looking at his sandals and you're just like I don't like people looking at my sandals. You're like, I get this. I don't like, yeah, or like going to the bathroom and someone is like going next to you. And I'm like, oh, that was the first time that you're just like, I don't know, seeing that in, in the audience, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I get that. I get yeah. that. So what was your understanding of it when you went? Was it just a movie you saw that day or had you heard anything about it? No, I had heard. I had started to hear about it and, you know, from friends. I was just starting to go to... Uh, I think I was just starting to go to acting school okay. where I was at the very end of high school. And so I think it was through some acting friends who, you know, were on the vibe of more of this type of a film. So it was still in the early days of it, but I think it was, you know, it was only playing at a couple of theaters in, in Vancouver, yeah. like the art house theaters. And, uh, yeah, so I went and, and saw it and, you know, was transported and I was like, I have to see everything of his. Yeah. Yeah. It is such a, oh, it's a great gateway drug. It really is. Because yeah. you also, you come away with, you know, you've dis- you discover Matthew Kasovitz and, and Yamel Debuz and, and all these people in it who are lively and, and part of that, that culture. Yeah. It's like the best possible circumstance to discover a cinema, yeah. a type of cinema. And yeah. He uses was, a lot of the same people, which I thought mm-hmm. was interesting. He used Audrey Toto for a long time. Yeah. For, uh, very oh, very long engagement. Game. Yeah, engagement. which again, which somehow nobody saw, which was one of the best movies I saw that year. I know, and I love that film. Yeah, yeah. And I actually, this is the way I got people to see it. I tricked them when the DVD came out. I didn't <laughs> trick them? them, but I said, if you rent the, um, how did I? Oh, I, I used the Jodie Foster trivia point, which is that she's fluent in French and dubs all her own performances for other for French releases. And that was like, oh, yeah, you can hear her speak French in a very long engagement. Maybe you should go see that. And that was how I got people to see that movie. I didn't know that she did yeah. the dubs, though. Yeah, it's kind of cool. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's fascinating. The Panic Room one is apparently really good. Right. Because she modulates the, the accent and the emotion, which is usually like when people are, are doing another language, their own accent or, the, or how does it work? When people are speaking another language or affecting another accent, the more you raise your voice, the less comfortable you are. Like it always, oh, when you start going higher yeah, up. Yeah, if you're shouting or if you're being intense, your own accent, your own voice will come through. Apparently, huh. it's a quirk. Interesting. But Foster gets it. And she gets it and she's able to... 
nail it. Yeah. Now, now I got to just now I need to learn French and then watch yeah. some stuff to, <laughs> to properly judge. Yeah. It. This is like learning Russian so you can read Caribbean. Exactly. I mean, sure, if you have time. Yeah. I speak some Japanese, and so maybe I should try to do uh, some Japanese for. Cool. No, I don't think that's why not. <laughs> it would be more true to your character. Yeah. If you're dubbing it. Yeah. But the yeah, but but um, but that's just one more thing, one more weird difficulty that somehow creates itself around his work, where uh-huh. Amelie doesn't have any of that. Um, right. Like very long engagement is this deeply sad, optimistic love story. Yeah. Just like Amelie. Right. I guess. But Amelie, somehow, by being slightly more cartoonish, allows itself to be perceived as more accessible. Yeah. Of all of his films. I know. Because he's just experimenting with digital a little bit. People's eyes get a bit too big, and their smiles are a little too wide. And it's... and the whole thing is colored, mm-hmm. like these very extravagant colors, yeah, the whole yeah. thing. The green and the red, the little blues in the background. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... That was the one that really hit with the audiences. It was really easy for people to get into it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that, why it's not with, you know, the other films. Yeah, because this does defy a lot of rules in that same way, which is it shouldn't have been a mainstream hit. It shouldn't mm-hmm. have caught on, in, especially in America, where there's I know, still, it was up so for much hostility. Five Oscars or yeah. something. It, yeah, won a number of Oscars, and I think so. So it really, yeah, really landed with people. Yeah, and it is just lovable I mean it's, yeah. it's just a, it's a really good movie yeah um, you I know, know and I love there's I love the little quirks in it like you know the pig that reaches over and turns off the light and oh, it's like man. you know there's no explanation that a pig just starts doing that it's just it just happens it's yeah. magic right it's a fable she's, yeah she's starting to fall asleep yeah and, and there's just, there's something truly wonderful about the idea of the character as an innocent that the world is trying to take care of right that for all the things she does her environment is actually Taking care Making of sure she's okay. Yeah. Which is how she's got to this point. Cinderella. Yeah, yeah. It the is. Animals right? like the animals coming and making being... the dress for her. Yeah. And it's and with tattoo you believe it, because she's so I know, and she was perfect. a model before she made this this film. Like mm-hmm. she wasn't an actor and she and he he brought her into the into the world of acting, I think. That sounds about right. Yeah. It's always surprised me that she was a model at all because she's so She's not, I mean, she's strikingly beautiful, but she's also really idiosyncratic. I don't see, you, right. you don't see her putting on a mask right. to pose. Right, ever. yeah. Like, she's always human. Yeah. Um, that, that, she's in the Da Vinci Code, and it's uncomfortable because she's too real to be in this big cartoon of a movie. Right. She's just playing a person. Right. I never saw the Da Vinci Code. It's not good. Okay. No. Well, I'm good. I'll just jot that down. And now my brain is going, was she in the first one or the second one? Because th-? they're all... No, the f- she was in the first, the first one, one. Then it was a yell at Zur, And then the last one was um, Felicity Jones. Okay. I missed all of them. It's all just like Dan Brown always likes the the female lead to be 20 years younger than Tom Hanks and also right. dark haired and tall. Right. Right. I guess. It's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. It's amazing that... People have those things. Yeah, it's amazing that, you know, as he uh, travels the world, this incredible Harvard symbologist always finds the assistant who looks exactly like the last one, but that there's no connection to them. <laughs> yeah. Over 20 wow, years. look where. Yes. You just happen to be here. That's the next yeah. clue. The tall, dark-haired woman. Uh, She'll help you. I must be... I must be in the right... I must be getting close. This, yeah. is, this, is, this is the right direction. Yeah, but Tattoo has been far more successful in French cinema than, than in yeah. Hollywood stuff, just because... I don't know, like, maybe it's the, the presumption that audiences won't know what to do with her because she's the girl from Amelie, or the presumption that audiences haven't seen Amelie, so she's not marketable. 
Yeah, I don't know what happens when an actor plays such a strong role that then it's hard to you know it's hard to see them as another mm-hmm. as another person because yeah, yeah. you're like you're you're Walter White. What are you what are you doing outside of Breaking Bad? Yeah, that's where you're. That's your Walter White. You yeah. got to be doing your. You're you have to be mess. mean to people. Be mean to people. <laughs> but well, with Tattoo, at least she's removed from the world of them. You know, if if she's yeah. in another movie, she won't be in the same environment. The colors are more yeah. normal. Yeah. But she's still and the haircut. Somehow, yeah. That that iconic haircut. I remember that haircut being like a thing too. That that's right. A oh, lot it's of Louise Brooks by way of right. the 21st century. But oh. yeah, I mean, I I've always assumed that kind of page boy thing. Right. Um, but the yeah, even just looking. Sorry, I'm holding up the DVD case, listener, and uh, you can just the contrast between the poster image and the way she actually looks in the film is really. I'd forgotten just how radical a departure is because she looks much more like a person. I know. Um, they, they, in the they, movie itself, because of course they make her look like a mime on the front. Yeah, and that's another way around. Like this film has subtitles. Maybe there won't be any dialogue. Yeah, it's an easier sell. Right. <laughs> but um, a sugar rush of a movie yeah. is what it says on the front of it, and I think that that's what it is. It is, yeah. yeah. But it still has emotional gravity. It has weight. Yeah, which is why I love it. Uh-huh. Uh, rather than oh that that was a, lo- a lovely diversion, and I, let's let's leave and talk about the cinematography and never think of it again. Yeah, it, it hangs around because there is an underlying sadness and the, melancholy. I mean, it's French, melancholy. of course, it's melancholy, right? But she's so good at carrying that. This is yeah. a movie about a woman who's in denial of of where her life is. Yeah, and she needs to her real problem is facing her own her own fears yeah. that she needs to get past. And it's so simple too. It's a really simple structure and it works so well. And then she's, you know, making her cake at the end of the movie and is very sad and crying cuz things didn't work out. I like how not everything worked out when mm-hmm. she started helping people, like the couple oh, that's that, right. that, that, you know, go into the bathroom and sex, and then they start fighting, and he gets weird and starts tape-recording her calls, yeah. and that relationship started to fall apart, and she's like, what have I done? And then and then he shows up at the door. Then they ride on a scooter really quickly at the end, which is, right? Well, the scooter uh, symbolizes... It, They're on their way. Yeah, but it's also... It doesn't... Uh, symbolizes is the wrong word. It's a callback to... I, it, you know, Roman Holiday and all that stuff. It's a callback to movies that aren't involved in this film, which I find really interesting too. Like, yeah, he, Genet is accessing pieces of cinema history mm-hmm. constantly, without ever hanging a lantern on it or right. quoting directly. There's right. just even you know, even the choice of music is mm-hmm. sort of just there's there's a lot of accordion and, and yeah. self-consciously yeah exactly it's the thing you think of when you think of french cinema you create yeah. this fake thing in your head exactly and he gives you that and then argues that the people inside that are still real right and deserving of consideration which is so great because yeah. nobody does that i know yeah it's pretty it's it's such a nice little trip to go on <laughs> so how often do you come back to it do you well it was a real inspiration for me at you know the the early stages of my career, mm-hmm. and I have other many favorites now beyond that. But I think that this was like a really important film for me in my life, and you know really set a good spark off for me. Um, and you know my dream was to meet Junay and to, and to you know I think it's funny when you do meet someone of you know and you have to tell them this movie. You have to like when they yeah. see that you see them grab their hand. This movie was amazing, yeah. and I think that it's funny because the person on the other side, they're like, "Okay, that was in the past. <laughs> I've had, you know, twenty million people tell me that, but 
you know, you still need to tell the person that. Yeah. Did you yeah. get to? Did you actually? No, I haven't. Oh, I haven't. He would, you know, he's he would really like that. I, think. I know. I, I, I do. think. He, yeah. I got to talk to him when he came through TIFF for Micmacs. Okay. So 2010, maybe. Right. And it was the it was the greatest and weirdest situation because we were in the uh, the Sutton Place Hotel, I think, and there was construction going on outside, and it was uh-huh. so loud there was drilling constantly that the the recording is inaudible for certain portions oh, no. and i had to like we're, there's a moment where i'm shouting a question and he's shouting his answer and, oh, uh, and it's like it was bad but it was great because we were sharing this awful moment together with a sense of this does sort of we feel, gotta just keep going there's yeah, nothing we could do there's exactly. no time and it's life never have time there and, yeah yeah you just got to move on maybe it was the park hyatt but it was a low it was like low to the ground and there was something loud outside and it was just so strangely eccentric in the moment that I, it felt like a bonding experience. Like, yeah. you have to do this all day, yeah. don't you? It's like, yes. What was your inspiration for this movie? Yeah, tell me about weapons trading. Well, what? And we, well, we talked about Amelie and we talked about Alien Resurrection a little bit. And uh, he's just... he. What, did I, he, what were his feelings on Alien Resurrection? Well, I just wanted to know like, how... What a different departure exactly. from what this he wants to he, do yeah. of Amelie. Yeah. It's like the exact opposite. It kind of is. And yeah. he said that for him it was the opportunity to work with digital tech on a level he'd never been allowed to do. And he said, you know, like they offered me an alien movie. I'm not going to say no. Those things are cool. Yeah. And the movie is more or less what he wanted it to be. Right. Um, because by the time he got to it, the rewrites had been, like it, the script had been backed and forth for years. Uh-huh. And by the time he he got to it there was a script that he could work with and he said it was a really interesting experience to work with an american studio i, I get the feeling he didn't want to do it again right ever but right. he's been making big movies on his own terms ever since yeah very long engagement was a really ambitious production yeah that was uh, a huge film and micmax is smaller but more complicated right um i think and i, I mean he had said that amelie was the film that he embraced that was the opportunity and to everything, do everything that he wanted. Exactly. It all came together right uh-huh. after Alien Resurrection. You know, you just made a $70 million movie for an American studio. What do you want to do next? And it's like, oh, the thing I care about. This, this Yeah, that's story. what it seems like. It yeah. seems like there's parts of pizza, pieces of his childhood within her mm-hmm. uh, and her curiosity in the world and all those little, like what you're saying, all those little interesting uh, you know, clocks and yeah. photographs and nostalgic items in it and yeah it, that come to life it feels like a first novel right? oh, yeah. like he's putting huh. everything into it because he may never get the chance to do another one right but it's his fourth feature I mean it was his yeah. second feature without Mark Carl but Carl worked on this one uh-huh. they just didn't share directorial credits right but it feels like this is the one where he's just he's not missing any opportunities he wants uh-huh. to get everything down just jam it in just yeah. get it all in cut it to 130 minutes yeah or uh, 90 minutes no, it's, I think you're right the first time, right? It's two hours and something. Okay. But it's bursting with inspiration and energy and ideas. And even, like, every single image has been thought about. Yes. And maybe it's because with digital color timing, he worked over it for days and days in post. Every single frame is yes. bespoke, uh-huh. you know, in a way yeah. that, that... I also like the speed at which it's cut. Uh-huh. It's cut. And, and shot very quickly. That's right. Like, yeah. even the end when they're doing the, you know, he kind of ramps stuff. He does these little ramps in, in, in the memory when goes to the the Tour de France and, and that part is, all those memories are kind of ramped. Mm-hmm. 
until they get to the marbles and then it all like slows down but uh and then the end of the film with the scooter it's like ramped and and so i like the speed at which it moves um it doesn't let you you know sit back like it's out at you and and pulling you along really quickly yeah um and uh, you were talking about the images in there and I do have to say that I actually have the goose and the dog picture Aww. in my living room. <laughs> I, got, nice. I got prints of those and put them up <laughs> just as like, you know, a little inspiration of, of, you know, the, the visual joy that he puts into this film that I think that, you know, filmmaking needs to have nowadays when you need to get people to the theater, which is so hard to do yeah. these days. And I think that, you know, as a filmmaker, it's our responsibility to put in visual joy and, and you know, that kind of beauty and, and um, excitement that, you know, you can walk away from. Yeah. God, I mean, any anything that gets people to connect emotionally with the film. Yeah. And especially to see it in a, in a space where you're surrounded by other people making that same connection. It just, yeah. I mean, I'm lucky enough that I still get to do it a couple of times a week, but yeah, at press screenings, it's a different energy. And, and I mean, I saw Paddington two, oh, yes. uh, uh, Wednesday night in oh, a yeah. crowd, but it was filled with kids cause it was a family screening, right? It was a preview, but it was seated with families. And there was a moment where, um, the, the final plot point sort of drops and it's, it's not even a plot point. There's a moment where Paddington is underwater and people are trying to save him. Uh-huh. And you know, as an adult audience member, he's going to be fine. They're not. First of all, they're never going to. Paddington deserves only. There's no Paddington three, right? Exactly, is that what you're yeah. telling us? Well, they're going to. They're they're guaranteeing. <laughs> he doesn't the, get out of the, the wall. survival of the franchise is paramount. But when you're four or five, you maybe don't know this, right? It might right. be the first time you ever encountered it. And there was a child who gasped when he was rescued, and it was a gasp of such pure joy and relief. It's like I forgot what that sounds like. I forgot what yeah. that feels like. Yeah. And the whole room rode off the gasp because right. everybody else was just like, oh, in the back of your mind, you're like in this moment with the kid for the first time. Yeah. I'm, I, uh, I came from uh, the theater world. And so I've, you know, been an actor in a lot of Shakespeare productions. And okay. I wonder about Shakespeare's plays, yeah. you know, back in the time when they don't know that Romeo and Juliet don't end up, you know, <laughs> like how the yeah. end of it, that they would gasp. At the you know at the, at the plot of mm. what's happening, I feel like what would they do during Hamlet? Oh my gosh, right. he's behind the curtain! Oh yeah. my gosh, yeah, because they don't know. And, and I mean, yeah, and I suppose too, theater like the live the energy of a live performance will lend itself to the energy of the crowd, and and yeah. there are so few films that feel like they're happening in front of you, right? Just because of the nature of you know the way you watch a movie is yeah to look at it and sit still and it's two-dimensional and all of that stuff but this yeah Amelie I think there's a conspiratorial aspect of it too the way that Tattoo occasionally looks at the camera and sort of smiles it invites you in the right. way she does right yeah I'm trying to think she does that like right at, when she first gets introduced yeah. in the cafe she, oh, early the on the camera shoots in right yeah and then towards awesome. the end I mean she looks at the camera like every 10 minutes right. but there's a couple of moments where she sort of coquettishly just sort of smiles yeah she's like it's like winking at the you know I know you're there and yeah yeah. I mean you can't help but root for the character but that I remember thinking that that was a really bold choice for 2001 uh-huh. it just it wasn't being done that much you know? I know and now we have Deadpool who's talking right to the camera yeah. and the credits are like yeah, yeah. they're jokey or yeah and I and it works it's fun yeah but in a film about sadness it's a different sort of aspect the only other right. I'm trying to think it was 
Uh, Deplechen, the Deplechen film, uh, Un Conte de Noël, A Christmas Tale. Um, oh. It was at Cannes in 2008. It was the only time I was at Cannes, so that I remember. Oh. Uh, but there is a, it's a moment with, there's a kind of, there's a sense of narration, there's a sense of engagement with the, with the actors. Uh-huh. And at the very end, one character looks at the camera and smiles. And it just lands like a fist in your chest. It feels like the fourth wall has just been That's shattered. That's interesting. That's like 500 powerful. Days of Summer. He looks, he yeah. doesn't do it until the very end of the movie. And he looks and he winks at the yeah. audience when he meets Autumn. And that's creepy. Well, yeah. When it, when it happened in that film, I was like, Ugh. Did you? I liked it. I was like, oh, all right. Hey. Yeah. I'll wink back. Hey. <laughs> no. <laughs> I found it really, I, well, I'm not. You were like, it was cringe. It was cringy It was for a you. little bit much, yeah. It was I, too I, much. It was, it was I, I'm not totally on board with 500 Days of Summer. I remember thinking at the time that it felt like someone was trying to make a movie that would play really well at Sundance. And oh. That kind of energy and self-awareness. It felt well, a little bit Well, I think that's... A, yeah, I think thinking that thought and, and watching it, it'd be a different thing. Yeah. I kind oh, of got totally on board on it. Biased. I got on board. I like it when, you know, it kind of... When movies kind of distort reality and, you know, she was on the bus and there's multiples of her all over the bus yeah. I'm like oh I'm digging this oh, yeah. I love it no I, I didn't dislike it but it just felt a little calculated in right its, in its adorability yes maybe and then I saw his uh, Webb's last film The Only Living Boy in New York and it's like oh no I was right I feel completely I, you haven't, I haven't seen it it is the ugh ugh <laughs> Ugh, is enough. White privilege in the movie. It right. Is so bad. Right. Um, I think that should be a review that you give. I may, Ugh. Have, I may have actually done that. We <laughs> well, had this, this review is one word. We may have had this. Uh, <laughs> we well, we may have. I have definitely had this. Uh, I, I built a hashtag out of "fuck that was awful" for a while on Twitter, just because there were a few movies. It was like Transformers Four kind of stuff, oh, and just gosh. really grindingly awful. And I would just leave the, I would leave the screening, and I would email that to Glenn to my editor and, yeah. and just like don't worry about having space for the review it's not going to take too long but it just finally distilled itself into fuck that was awful and then I started actually tweeting it publicly and it's like that seems kind of mean you don't yeah. want to you don't want that to be a brand <laughs> you don't want that brand no fuck that was awful <clears throat> but oh that's the fuck that was awful guy yeah you don't want to be that guy um, <laughs> yeah. but but Amelie feels like it might have directly inspired 500 days of summer in that way right like the yeah, kind you of think? candy colored yeah. imagery and, and structural stuff yeah 500 days of summer does the she always wears red and he always she always wears blue sorry and he wears red so they kind of flipped the right the colors the you know the gender colors because she's acting like the boy right who you know is like not as interested in the girl right um but she's you know he's chasing up the girl which we hadn't seen very much mm-hmm. boy meets girl Boy loves girl, girl doesn't. Yeah. Like I think that's girl such a amb- simple. Girl yeah. means ambivalent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I think that's such an interesting, simple story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but then the yeah, maybe there was influences from Amelie. I wonder. It felt like it. It felt like that was one of the sacred texts. Yeah, like they just, you know, how do you involve the audience in a story that they can't necessarily root for everyone in? Right. Um, how do you suggest? The, the romantic fantasy that, that his character lives in. And it's, well, we'll just make everything really bright. We'll have a musical number. We'll yep. exploit everything that's charming about Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. And it just, yeah, that was the thing that, like, the bell that rang in my head was, like, oh, this this is sort of what an American Amelie would be like if you... Oh, that's an interesting you know, point, yeah. Coming at it from that direction. Yeah. It's, it's an American Amelie. This and is our version. Yeah, but that, so but that also just reminds me how unrepeatable Amelie is how you couldn't do another one I know well it's his voice is so clear and Mm -hmm. and strong in it 
you can't uh, you can't repeat that. You can't recreate it. Yeah, nor should you, because it's you know what it is is really good. It's just any uh, there, there are a handful of movies where the influence is so clear that uh-huh. I mean there. Anytime someone tries to knock off Star Wars, you can tell. Anytime someone yeah. tries to knock off Die Hard, you can tell. Uh, it's usually genre stuff. But with Amelie, it's like, why would you even want to try to approach this? This guy did it. He it's did it. It's done. It's done. Move on. Yeah. You can't do it. Find another one. Give it now. Yes. Filmmakers listening. We're, we're just it's telling you nicely. Don't do it. We're sending you a memo. We're watching and we're waiting. And I just sent it. <laughs> Check your email. Look in the junk box. Might be in there. <laughs> So um, that kind of awkwardly brings us to the question: Like, have you borrowed or, or stolen or lifted anything from Amelie? I mean, well, I think that it was influencing my first short film. That was the first thing yeah, that I say, made yeah. was uh, this little piece called "Hop the Twig," mm-hmm. and I actually because I didn't go to film school or, or anything. That was kind of my film school. Uh, was this short? Because I know you know when you go to film school, you know that you're going to make you do the shorts and. I'm like, well, I may as well just put my money that I'd spend on schooling into this film right. and, you know, made it for a thousand dollars. And, and, uh, there was lots of little things that I took that I, yeah, that I stole from Amelie basically is like, you know, I, I, I had the narration to it because I didn't want to have live sound because I knew mm-hmm. I'd be, that'd be kind of challenging as my first film yeah, yeah. doing all that. So I pulled all the sound out and just shot it silent and then I did it after. Um, and so there's only a couple of things that are said in the film, but, and then there's a couple of the camera moves that I really loved that I was inspired by Amelie. There's like the kind of quick push-ins and, and these kind of, uh, whip pans that, that happen. And then there's this kind of almost floaty feel from Pan's Labyrinth. That's another film that, you know, I adore, but, um, but yeah, Amelie was, it's, it's film school in two hours. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, that's certainly, the case could be made. It's, uh, and I was thinking too that the stuff we see at that age, when you're just coming out of high school, when you're figuring out yeah. who you're going to be, those are the movies that we often bond to, bond with the most ferociously because right. how we cement our own identities. Uh-huh. Um, I just, I, like for me, it's yeah, I stuff. What, what um, would be for you? What I don't would be I, the, the Amelie in your life. I don't know. My film school was definitely Back to the Future. Oh, uh, which well, I, that's, that's a great one. Yeah, which I went and saw every week uh, on cheap on two fifty Tuesdays. So you saw it how many times? Uh, Fifteen or sixteen. Wow! Uh, like for the You're entire obsessed. for the entire summer. Yeah. Well, I saw it week after week after week. That was my summer. That the summer yeah. of nineteen eighty five, and I was seventeen, and I just took it apart and put it back together again, over and over and over again. I was watching uh, Adventures in Public School today, and I was thinking about that because there were these this there was this section in the middle that we kind of reworked. Oh yeah. And I was watching and I was like, I, I think, you know, it's just so clear right now. It's so clear to not have had this and, and to connect these two dots, you know, at like 75% through the movie. It's like, oh, it made so much sense to just trim that little scene, the the meat of the, the middle of the scene out and to kind of connect these two dots. And it just makes it so much sharper and clearer. And it's like, why couldn't we have seen that in the script form? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's amazing how you can do that. So when did you figure it out? Was it test screenings or editing? Or? It was in test screenings and no, it was also in editing. Yeah. We knew it didn't work in the editing and early on, mm-hmm. probably right before the test screenings. And then once we got rid of it, you know, it was so much clearer. Yeah. 
Oh, that stuff's amazing too. I know, but you got to have the fat to just start kind of trimming down mm-hmm. and just slowly chipping away. And, and you know you're probably going to get there, but you can't just cut it right away. You got to go, okay, well, let's hang on a little bit. How much can we hang on? But yeah, I have no problem just chopping it out and throwing it on the ground. Yeah. Because <laughs> every, every single thing gets cut down, everything is trimmed and crunched. And, um, you know, every scene, you know, goes through that. So yeah, and so much of comedy is about precision and structure too. So yeah. you're building beats that have to echo with each other at precise yeah. moments. I mean, that stuff is incredibly intimidating to me just to see it structurally. And you know, like how long is too long between reference points, and when can you? Are they going to laugh? Are they going to miss the next line if they're laughing? Yeah. If they you, they can't hear, you know, what that person said. Um, yeah, I know. It's and then you know you just get kind of a, immune to your own film because you watched it a hundred times and you're like, right. is is this still funny? Is this making sense? I can't even tell anymore. So, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I guess you just need you need the illusion of fresh eyes, right? But you also need literal fresh eyes. You need to put it in front of people. To test see screens. Yeah. yeah, those test screenings are very useful. And then they go across the board you know the, some people are you know not liking this character some people are loving that character and you're like okay well i can't listen to either of those people i gotta go down the middle right and because uh, every person that watches it watches it from a different experience you know and so the demographics like you know people probably in your demographic weren't the top for right. our film uh, actually i do know that your demographic was not the top for really? our film oh yeah uh that was actually the lowest scoring Really? Uh, yeah, it was much more in the middle-aged women that scored very high oh, okay. for it, that we were connecting with Judy. Um, I so, guess. I don't know. I just, I connected with everybody. I, uh, I thought, that's you know, good. It's, yeah, as, as pandery as that sounds. I well, just, like, I, I, think it's, I think it's usually someone who's in your demographic who's got more of an artistic flair than mm, they connect. Maybe. I just Generally. Think, yeah, I'm just thinking, like, I've, I'm old enough that I remember being all of those people. Like, right. I have the range of experience that... Yeah. I've been a, I've been the awkward kid. I've been the worried adult, not yeah. a parent, but you know, the worried I've, adult. Yeah, I've been I've been on the outside of all of those situations. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Well, I connected to it, and that's what counts. Yeah, damn it, <laughs> damn it. This is the, that's the that's the demographic of the critics speaking. It's like, yeah. you know, if I get it, that's all that matters. <laughs> this film is made for me. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So uh, what was I going to ask you? There was one other thing about. Amelie? Amelie, yeah. Um, I was going to ask if you thought it could work today, but I think it still can. Like, It's not like a remake situation, but I'm, I'm always... I wonder that. It's a curious question. Yeah. Like, does stuff land the same way yeah. if it was pulled out of time and put dropped in right now? That's it, right? I mean, it's such a specific movie, but I don't know that it's specific to 2001. It might just no. be specific to that movement in cinema. Yeah. And it's I think of, it could. Yeah. I think it would. We're in a weird place where a lot of the stuff from the late 90s is coming back. Yes. Um, because it's the 20-year thing. Like people who yep. grew up with it on video are now curious to see what it looks like in a theater. Yeah, it's now hitting like that late 80s, early 90s that people are nostalgic for. Yeah. yeah. And it's so strange to think that... I mean, it was only 16, 17 years ago, but it feels like a lifetime. Everything is a lifetime now. Yeah. But um, the... The rights just resurfaced in the States. I think it's just come back out on, on Blu-ray. Only? So, yeah. It's oh. been available here all along because um, Alliance had the rights, but then Miramax oh. sold their catalog purchase and a bunch of stuff disappeared and is coming back again. 
And I'm really curious to see if it hits because I want it to. I want it to get a resurgence. Well, I think we should try to do that. I think we should pull it from the history and see if we can pop it into the future. That's what the show is for. You watch Back to the Future. You've got this figured out, yep. don't you? In theory. Don't you have in a time theory, machine? Yes. No. You watched it enough times that you should be able You'd to be make able your to own reverse time engineer it. Yes. Yeah. No, that's a Galaxy Quest scenario, which <sighs> is also going to be 20 years old soon. Right now, we're also looking at Norm's time machine over there. <laughs> yeah. It's just a box. It's the primer version. Right. You have to get in and turn it on. It's a whole thing. It's a whole yeah. thing. It's I like a know. coffee thing. You put it on automatic time, and then you know, at nine in the morning, we're going to go to a different time. Cool. Yeah. Well, when that happens, we'll let you know how it went i'm starting to work my head around the, the uh yeah yeah the future perfect tense right it'll be good it'll be good well we will find you guys but meanwhile uh if oh you know what turn off this podcast and go see if itunes uh, is showing Amelie in the number one or two position that'll be how we know yes exactly so if that happened you're welcome <laughs> my thanks to kyle Rideout whose new comedy, Adventures in Public School, is available for sale and rental on iTunes and Amazon Video in the U.S. and available for pre-order on iTunes Canada. It is a very smart, very charming film, and you should see it, especially if you're a fan of Judy Greer or Andrea Bang or Grace Park. It's really good. You can find Kyle on Twitter at KyleRideout, all one word, and you can find Amelie on Blu-ray and DVD from Lionsgate in the U.S. and from E1 in Canada. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening.